In the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. Friends and comrades, this is a very, very special episode of the Highlands Bunker Podcast. This is our 200th episode. Now you might say, Rob, wait a minute. Haven't you done special episodes like, didn't you do one at Chelsea Tavern once? Didn't you do one at Wilmington Brew Works where you talked to Kendra Brooks of the Philadelphia City Council? And you didn't even number those. They were just bonus episodes. Yes, we did do that. We're not, we're not pedantic. This is our 200th episode. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to it. Uh, our guest um, today is just going to do an introduction to something we recorded probably two years ago. Do you remember when we recorded it? Um, just to clarify, I'm being held at my will to do this. Um, was it during COVID? No, it was before. I feel like it was before COVID. Yeah, because so. you were here. We did it here. Maybe early 2020 or maybe 2019. I, don't I know. think it was pro- had to be 2019. No, because it was in the summer. Because it was uh, there was a big cricket event. Ben Stokes had made all of these runs in the fourth innings at Edgebaston. And you wanted to know why it was a thing. And so we decided to, like, I was going to talk about cricket. And the funny part was you, you have this um, known sort of uh, position on the game of American baseball. Yeah, it's terrible. Correct. And so we said, well, why don't we do a show that like, plays off of this idea that you hate baseball, and I'll explain cricket to you. And that's what we did. And sometime, I'm going to say the summer of 2019. Yeah, baseball's the sins of our fathers. Um the road to perdition. Yeah. I think that's clear. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our 200th episode uh, is with, uh, with Photog Jerry, Liverpool Jerry, or as you might know him, uh, Jerry Habraken, uh, the, the photographer from uh, Delaware Online. He's a great friend of ours. Um, he, he was been, he's been on one other time with Jeannie Kwan, which I think almost got him fired. Do you want to talk about that at all or no? It was silly, no. Okay. I mean, it's still very funny, but yeah, let's not. Um, but uh, he's going to be leaving us, leaving uh, Wilmington, and leaving the the photojournalism sphere for some some tech stuff. He's going to go back to uh, to his hometown, his home uh, his homestead. Uh, but we wanted to number one have one more party with him, which we're doing tonight. But also do an intro to this 200th episode, which people have been waiting for. It's the Lost Jerry tapes. It's like the basement tapes. People have been dying for this. You know people have, too, because you've been there when people are like, well, are you going to are you gonna release it? Uh, yeah, you have. Now it is coming out, though. How do you feel about that? I, I welcome it. Bring it on. I love it. So... So, folks, let me give you a little, um, little intro to it. We're gonna have to do, we're gonna have to do some editing. Carl, super producer Carl, is gonna have to do some work on this because uh, it was just, it was just Jerry and me, and also our friend Greg, um, who again is our great comrade, uh, who uh, supplies us with the Delco Lager, who is now camping in Vermont. Um, awesome dude. He was also in here. Uh, Carl was not here to mic the place or run it, 
So you might hear Greg sort of talking off in the distance, potentially me yelling at him that he's not set up on a mic, et cetera, et cetera. That's very funny. Also, in between or as a bookend to this cricket conversation that will probably be truncated for your pleasure, Jerry tells a, a wonderful story uh, growing up. I'm not going to give it away. Um, but the story has a, a third act. And so do you, can you tell the third act now as like a teaser? Will it give, will it give stuff away? Should we like just cut right into it and go to the end and then you tell it at the end? How should we do it? No, I don't want to tease it at all. I want it to be fresh. I can tell a different story, but I don't. Okay. Well, do you want to tell, is that the story we talked about coming up here? Yeah, the funeral story. The funeral story. Yeah, I mean, but does that does that does that work now before people hear? Yeah, it has nothing to do with the original story. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, as another bonus for you, um, the funeral story. So I was like, I want to say seventeen, in high school. I played soccer, and one of our kids on this. I, okay, no, 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 no. I just graduated high school, so I was like, eighteen, nineteen. And one of the kids that I had played soccer with for those four years died in a in a car wreck, a truck accident or something. Um, he was a real nice kid. Anyway, uh, since we were still around, they were doing the receiving friends whole bit where you go and you see the casket and all that. Um, and I had never done that before, never been to a funeral, never seen a dead body, anything. But I was like, yeah, we should go because, you know, was, he was a good guy. It was, this was tragic. Um, so we go, and there's a line outside the funeral home. Like, all right, so me and my best friend, who was also on the soccer team, we get to the back of the line, and we're hanging out, and uh, it's, it's like summertime, and, you know, we're just, we're just waiting and, and, and sweating in the Tennessee heat, and eventually we get into the funeral home, Ashley Funeral Home. And I can kind of see to the front for the first time. And I see his parents up there, his dad and his mom and his brother. And I see the casket up there. And I was like, and that was kind of shocking because I just had never seen that before. And then I noticed people were uh, talking to them. And f from the line of the father was like uncles and grandmothers and whatnot, other family members. And people were saying things to them. And I, I looked at my best friend Dexter and I was like, "Man, do we do we have to say something?" And he was kind of like, "I guess." I, he didn't really know either. Um, so that's when like the panic and anxiety just like swept over, and I was like, "Well, oh shit, I have to say something. What do I say? I've never been around this." So we're inching closer and closer and closer and closer to the family, and I'm just really freaking out in my head. I'm like, "I don't know what to say to them. I don't know the right words. This is um, I can see." his body up there in the casket and that's freaking me out because I've never seen a dead body before and this whole thing is just it's a lot we're inching closer and then you know I get start, I get to like the outer family members the uncles and stuff and I'm just shaking hands one by one and I'm not saying anything and and then I get up to his parents at the front of it's like a stage up there and the order from back to front is his dad's at the front meeting with people and then there's our friend's body in a casket. And then behind him, 
is the mother, and she's just weeping. And then his little brother was right there, back there with her, and they're just crying. You know, they're they're trying to deal with this. How old's the brother? Uh, a couple of years younger than him. Okay. Um, Thirteen, maybe. Yeah. So I'm panicking. I'm like, what? Are, what the hell am I gonna say? Like, what the fuck am I gonna do? I don't know what to do. I'm pan. My my mind's racing. Um, I was like, all right, I got I got to say something. So I get up to his dad, and you know, his dad's kind of like on an elevated like a stage. And I look up, and there's just this this man who's just broken, and and there's tears running down his face, and he just looks, he and he he just he's just hanging on, and I reach out. He reaches out and we shake hands, and I look up at him and I go, "Hey, how's it going?" <laughs> it's just what came out. What did he? What did he immediately, say? What did he say? Immediately, what was the I was like, I was like, "Oh shit, that was the wrong thing to say right now," because I know the answer to that one. And he Probably. just looks at. <laughs> He just looks at me, and I look at him. We're still like, it was like an extended shake because he didn't really know what to do, and I was so freaked out. So we're just kind of still shaking hands. It was like a long, like Donald Trump handshake, and I just, yeah, I was like, "What's going on, man?" Now, can I ask you a question? He knew who you were, though. Like he knew you were I th- friends. I with think the so. Guy. I like, think he, he would have. Con- rec- I, I assumed he would have <laughs> recognized me. It wasn't that like, is, like he oh. might. He might be able to like. Deal with it if he knew like who you were, but if he was just some fucking dude. Yeah, I, I didn't hang out with the kid, but he probably knew I was on the team or whatever, whatnot. Yeah. Um, it was our dead son's teammate. Is acting like a boob at the fucking thing. That's just what came out, and I just remember we just kind of kept shaking hands and kept looking at each other, and then it ended, and I just got out of there as quick as I could. Uh, but maybe that was the worst thing I could have said. And so I think it's something that the moral is you need to have a couple like back pocket responses for the next time you're out of receiving friends because don't do what I did. Folks, I think if this podcast has been one thing over 200 episodes, it's been a, um, you know, a a learning experience, a teacher, teachable moment. And I think we just had, you know, a legitimate teachable moment right now. Thank you, Jerry. No problem. Well, here for you for our 200th episode is a conversation that uh, Jerry and I, who will be leaving us, but we will always stay in touch with, had many years ago. Uh, Jerry tells stories that are funnier than that. Uh, And also, I talk about cricket. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um... Hope you all enjoy it. You know how to hit us up. Patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Um, you know, we, we're, we're, we're doing real news now. Kathy v. Kathy. We might have, we could have t-shirts. We don't know. I'm not a big merch guy. I don't really like merch. I don't know. It seems a little, it's not really what I'm up to. But in any event, uh, enjoy the, uh, the show. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh. Left his best.
right, people. Um, I don't know what we're going to do with this. I, I'm doing something a little different tonight. Uh, we're just hanging out. We're doing a hangout. So uh, we're here in the bunker. We're still in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We still hate the Delaware way. You know, we're, we're still doing all that. But uh, we also like to have fun conversations. And uh, I've been wanting to talk to uh, Jerry uh, Harbraken. Is that it right? Harbraken. Harbraken. See, I can't do the Dutch thing. Harbraken. Got to remember that it's Dutch. Uh, he's a, a photographer uh, and a visual artist. Uh, he works at the News Journal. Um, he's a Liverpool fan. <laughs> but uh, he also asked me an intriguing question because uh, he has a, a visceral disgust, like uh, as you would for like a, 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 a mortal sin uh, against the sport of baseball. But he's extremely interested in the sport of cricket. Uh, so I, I I can explain it to him, but we can have another sort of a lot of side conversations to him. We'll just see where it goes. So what is what's the genesis of your of your baseball uh, sort of your baseball hatred? Where does it come from? Um, it was born by the devil. It's the devil's game. Um, um, like it's just a big baseball is just a big charade to make you sad and ruin your life and break apart families. I was I was leaving work today and I looked at the uh the TV as I was walking out and the Braves game was on. It's like game 5. This, this is the playoffs. Some of the best teams around. Top of the first inning, it was 10 to 0. Mm-hmm. Braves were getting beat. Wasted. You 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 you're not mic'd. You can't say anything. That's all right. Like how, I mean, you can say something but Put your hand up or something. Otherwise, it's not going to work. No, not now. <laughs> I mean, how much were tickets to that? The game's over 30 minutes in. Well, it was funny. I saw that you said something about that, so I quicked and checked, looked at the score in like the fourth inning, and I think it was 13-1. to one. So okay. it, didn't, it didn't get any better. But not every game is a blowout, though. Is that what is that the, the temptation of the devil? And then No, no. It's, it's the, the peanuts and the Cracker Jacks and the, the hot dogs and the songs, and it's just some big trade. That you walk out and then you're just kind of sad and like mental illness starts creeping into your life and and it it's all the root of most of everyone's problems is baseball. I, I do you have a, like a I talk feel, to anybody that's going through something and before you figure other things out, just be like, have you ever been to a baseball game? But hasn't like hasn't probably eighty eighty five percent eighty is it eighty three percent eighty three percent have been to a, I like how you like the precise number eighty three percent. It's a serious subject. <laughs> It touches it touches most of our lives. That's so fucking funny. So I know you I know you came here from Texarkana, right? Um, uh, that's where I was working previously. Where yes. you came here from? But you you're you are you're from the Midwest or the South? I'm from Tennessee. Tennessee, I'm East Tennessee. East Tennessee. Yep. Because uh, have we talked about that? Because I've been through there several times. Yeah, I'm from Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, like. Dolly Parton's homeland, like yeah. crazy tourist area. Yeah, yeah. I I had a friend who uh who went to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, uh, and we drove down there a few times through like Johnson City and Bristol and all that shit. So I've been down there a few times, and then I had uh I had a, a occasion to go to um south southeastern Kentucky a few times, Pike County, coal country. Tell you what, that's something to see. Uh, I was in a little town called Dorton, and uh, 
So they got like a like a regular Baptist church, they call it. But you go in there. I was like, there, there was no church that day. It was like a, bar- a barbecue or picnic or something. But I think that's where the toilet was. So I went in there and like, you could go pee in there. And I went in there, totally empty. And you look around and I'm like, man, somebody probably handled snakes in here. Like you see, like this is it. This is where it, it all goes down. It might have been like a Pentecostal church. I don't even know. But I mean, again, it was just like this little church in the middle of this little... It's almost like a village. It was in this ravine, sort of in, in the in this valley, in, in the in the valley of the, between these two mountains, and like an interstate went over top. Uh, and there was just like a, a four lane highway that went through the town, but it was just this little country church. But when you got in there, you just got a sense that, like, people were rolling around in tongues and shit in there. Yeah, that's a that's a Pentecostal church. Is that what that oh, is? Oh yeah. I don't know. It was it was, it was a little bit creepy. And, you know, you see the people there, and they have, like, a little glint in their eye. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I dated Weird. a Pentecostal girl once. Really? Me and my best friend at the time dated Pentecostal twins. Oh, you, I mean, and their dad was the pastor. It got real weird. Were they, like, rebelling? Or were they, like, in it? No, they were in it. They were in it. Um, I mean, could you, like... Could you hold hands with them? What were they? What were yeah, they? yeah. It was just all normal. Yeah, you, you could kiss and hold hands and hug and all that. Yeah. But yeah, like we didn't know they were Pentecostal at first. It was me and my best friend, and you know we, they're these two beautiful blonde women. We and like we were like fifteen or sixteen. We we're like sweet. We're dating twins. How cool is this? And we're best friends. Now you knew they were you knew their deal. No. So we started dating and eventually they're like, "Hey, you need to start coming to church with us if we want to keep this going." And we were like, "Yeah, sure, whatever. Let's let's go." Um like the church was in their like front yard. There was a huge building. And they lived behind the church. Um and because of the time difference, my friend couldn't go when I could go. He like I would go to the morning service and he would go to the night service. So eventually like a few weeks into going to church, you know, we were, I was talking to him on the phone. And I said, man, does it ever get kind of weird when we're there? And he's like, oh, my God, yeah. Like, because we had never seen in person, like, people speaking in tongues and, like, people just running around with tambourines out of nowhere and, like, just falling out and getting slain by the Spirit and all those things. We'd never seen that in person. So it was kind of like a a culture shock, I guess. It is quite a show. I have seen – I've seen it in sort of – I haven't seen it in a church situation, but I saw – in, in the same area, them do church in, like, somebody's house or, like, a huge garage that was opened up or whatever. And, yeah, it's it's something. It's a, I mean, it's a production. They said, um, you know, the comedian Sam Kennison who died, it was, like, a big loudmouth, but he came from, his, his father was a pastor, and that's how he learned to, like, perform like that. Like, to go into a character and just kind of, like, free flow perform. Yeah, I, it's it's wild. I still don't understand it to this day. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Like what the point of it is? No, just like what are the like I've photographed uh, revivals and things like that where people are just weeping and falling out and stuff yeah. like that. And I'm like, I I just don't understand what, what's coming over you to make you be like this. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Something's what people would happening. say. Like, I mean, I, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. I think. I I think that there's something that people really do believe something. And they want it to be true. And when they all get together, something happens. 
I don't know if I if that's religion or 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 what or what do you what do you call it, but it, it's definitely something. But there's a there's there's a sh- there's a show part to it that to me is pretty clear. But I guess you could say that about anything. You could say that about a Catholic mass. You know that's fucking weird. You know is it is it any weirder to have a god? I mean they don't speak Latin anymore, but I mean do all of those real somber rituals in the smell of incense and candles burning and and like that's I mean where the weird shit that's weird. So it's all kind of strange when you think about it. So you've you've, you've photographed a. Uh, you know, revival ten shows in the Super Bowl. You've been all over the place. So how how'd you? Well, before I ask you that, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll go off on this cricket tangent. See where it goes. Yeah, I don't. So what do you know? What do you, is there anything? What is your feel for it? Like, do you know? This anything is what about? I know. This is what I think I know in my head is that like games or matches can last like days. One, well, the 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 there's uh, there's several different formats of the game. Uh, the the main one is a five day five day match. Yeah. One game is five days long. Correct. Okay. But I would look at it like the way I and that's a lot. That's what a lot of people know. But the way I would explain it is you do follow things over like people follow golf for example over four rounds, um, and then you you know you go you go to so you you play another round but it's an, sort of an aggregate score and things move around and you kind of follow that you know there's a little bit of strategy into like making the cut or staying. So, like, obviously the games are not similar, but the idea of following one match over a number of days, I equate that to, like, people who follow, like, a four-round golf tournament. I think that's already a strike against it for me because that's one of the reasons well, again, I don't like not... baseball is because baseball games are way too damn long. So Yeah, I mean, the length of it, it it's supposed to be the – th- the good thing about it being over days rather than just, like, a three-and-a-half or four-hour thing – is that you can kind of come and go to it, like like people do with like I don't know when it's like I grew a festival. up. Yeah, like when my when people go to a golf tournament, if you've ever been to one, you know you pick a day or two and go. You pick a hole or you follow. You drink. You know, it's like a it's a day out. Like you're not into you're not watching an hour and a half basketball game and you're like totally focused on everything. It's sort of more like a free flowing thing. So. Uh, that's the like like I said that's that's how I would describe. Of course, I like it. Now, there's other formats that are just one day games that take about like take about a day, but they're split into halves. And then there's a real short format that's about as long as it's about a three hours, like a baseball game. But I don't like those formats. I like the long format. Okay, so round. So you five know days. that you know the you know the length. I know points get very high and like into like the hundreds, right? Yeah, more. I mean, you could. I mean, you could score as low as thirty or forty in an innings, but I mean, you could you could score four hundred, five hundred, six hundred too. Okay, that's all I know. Okay, all right. So, uh, the field, unlike baseball where there's foul lines, the 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 the, the ground is goes in every direction. So it's three hundred and sixty degrees, like a big circle. Uh, yeah, it's like it can be a circle, it can be an oval, it can have it can also have sort of irregular dimensions like a baseball field would. So maybe you know at a certain place the right field thing is in or whatever. So it can be a little different depending on the place. But yeah, it's circular and so it goes three hundred and sixty around. The playing surface, the pitch is a strip in the middle between uh, two wickets, which are three stumps and two bales. So it's like the three sticks with the two things on top of them at the end of the, of that strip of, of grass. Okay, there's two 
sticks sticking up. Three sticks three. sticking up. Three sticks sticking up with two with two bales basically sitting on the out to two outside ones and, and on the the middle one like that. See what I'm saying? So the strip is twenty two yards long. That's basically the field. That's it. The way it works is uh, the fielding team, they just have a coin toss and decide where they're going to field or bat first. The fielding team is going to pick a bowler, and the batting team is going to send two batsmen out. One's at the striker's end, which means the bowler's going to bowl in that direction towards that person who's strike, who's, at, who's batting. There's a batter at the other end, and they work in a partnership, but only one guy faces a ball at a time. So... The strikers at the strikers end, the bowlers at the bowlers end with another batsman, and then the they, they and then the fielding team sets the other ten guys out to field. The only other place they always have a fielder is a wicketkeeper, so it's like the catcher. He's the only fielder allowed to use gloves, has little pads on, and so the bowler comes in, the guy lets it go or he misses it, and there's a catcher there. Other than that. There are positions in the field, but it really depends on how you're how you're trying to get somebody out, where you're going to put, you know, what kind of shift you're going to put on, if you're going to put people deep, if you're going to put people close to the bat. You can kind of position fielders wherever you want in that 360 degree. There's there's some there's some formats and sometimes there's some fielding restrictions, but that's like too complicated for 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 our purposes. It's easier to say you can put those guys wherever. They're like gravy. You can just you can just put them wherever. them wherever. So for example. <clears throat> If a bowler bowls very fast, and he's gonna he's gonna pitch it up, which means maybe bounce one, uh, maybe a yard in front of you, outside, and you're gonna try to decide whether you have to defend it or play it or whatever. You might put a lot of guys in the slip cordon, which would mean uh, behind the batsman, on his offside on his leg side. So if he he nicked one, you know there'd be guys over there to catch it. So you'd put a put a few guy, few fielders there in a, in a slip cordon uh, for catches there, but <clears throat> there's other times when they're slow bowlers or you're bowling them different. You're gonna try to make them hit it in a different place, and you'd put fielders in other places. What's the goal? What's the goal of this game? I'll tell you. The bowler's coming in from one end, bowling at the striker. He's gonna bowl six balls in that direction at that uh, in that direction. First ball, all what the batsman wants to do first and foremost is protect his wicket and knock it out. The, the, if the bowler uh, hits those sticks and the bales come off, he's out. He's been bowled. Oh, they're protecting that thing? They're defending that wicket. Oh, that's like their castle. Correct. This is like tower defense. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Um, in the, in the no longest idea. form of the game, most, most shots you're going to play are either defensive shots, defensive strokes, or leaving the ball. Like, if you can tell that it's outside of your leg stump. If you can tell that it bounced too far down, it's going to be high. All of that stuff. You can leave those. You don't have to play at them. When you do strike the ball, you don't have to run. You can decide, oh, I've, I've just played a defensive shot and it's only sort of rolled back to the bowler or it's rolled over there and they're fielding it. Um, you can decide, if I can't make it from this end to that end before they run me out, I don't have to run. So you... You want to hit the ball and then, like, sprint down and get back? No, you don't have to get back. All you have to do is cross. So let's say you want to make one run. Guy bowls in. I knock the ball sort of off my leg side, maybe square of the wicket, sort of over what you'd think behind third base, say. And there's fielders over there, but I know I can get to that end. So you say yes, and the guy at the other end who's batting at the non-striker's end runs to my end. Now, the teammate that's running. Yeah. 
That is your teammate. That's correct. The guy you're yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's a partnership. That's the guy's on your team. Yeah. Okay. So now the bowler's going to bowl with the new guy. Same concept. He's defending the wicket. He's going to try to make a run. He's doing all the same things. But now the non-striker was the guy who just made the one run, and the guy at the other end who ran to this end. Now he's on strike. Follow that so far? I think so. They bowl balls in sets of six. They're called overs. So a bowler A, who bowled the first over, is going to bowl six balls from that end towards this end. Now, the batsman who's going to face those balls, it really depends on how many runs they take because they could switch. They could all, all the time be switching. You could also make more than one run. If I knock it out there uh, where nobody is and I know I can run back there and back, you get two. If I know I can run there and back and back, you get three. So it's just a matter of how many times you run between. Now, at the edge of the ground, there's a, a boundary or a fence or a rope. If you can hit it on the ground to that rope, you get four runs. You don't have to run. If you can hit it over that rope in the air, you get six runs. You don't have to run. Now, the difference is if you hit it in the air, correct. But if you, hit, if you try to hit a home run and uh, the guy catches you in shallow left field, you're out. And there's no, like, three outs in inning and you come back. Once you're out, you're out. So that's why you play defensive shots. You want to stay out there. And that's why it's actually very interesting to see good batsmen over the course of the day. You know, if you can watch a guy bat for five or six hours and face 250 balls, you know somebody's really concentrating. Like, it's very difficult to do. So it's actually a really cool like skill. Like, you went up to bat for five hours yeah. and never went down? Correct. That's crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, so they just so they so at the end of the over, uh, depending on how many runs are scored, they switch ends. So the bowlers switch ends and start bowling it back. So now another bowler will bowl six balls in this direction, and they just keep going back and forth like that in sets of six. Um, there's there's a handful of ways to get out. Um, if you're bowled, if you if you miss a ball or you can't play it and hits the hits the wicket and breaks the wicket, you're out. If you hit the ball in the air and it's caught, and all the fielders except for the or have to catch the ball with their bare hands too, which is kind of cool. So, you know, you could hit a line drive to a guy standing ten feet away. He's got to catch it with his hands. That's it. You're, that's what you're expected to do. Uh, but you're out caught. Um, if you try to run, uh, but you misjudge it, and they can throw the ball at the other end before you get in and break your bail, break break your wicket, you're out run out. So it'd be like you know throwing a guy out at second base or something. You, you think you can make it, or you think you can make two, so you run one, and you, you tell your partner, let's take two, and you try to run back, uh, but they, they can break your uh, your wicket before you get into your ground. What do you mean they're breaking your wicket? So like the, going so up they, and punching it? Like... Yeah, they have to have the ball in their hand, and, and the ball in their hand, or the ball itself, they can direct hit it, has to break the bails, has to break the wicket so those bails come out. Those, those two bales on top sit in little grooves. And for <clears throat> it, it has happened before where the ball has hit this a stump, but the but the bale just kind of jumps up and comes down or the bale doesn't come off, you're not out. The bale has to come out of the groove and out. That's sort of what determines whether you're out. How often when you're watching do they show like the slow-mo tight shot of just like the wicket exploding? Uh, it's pretty cool, yeah. I bet I mean, it's all, but that yeah. never gets old. I mean, as a fast, like there's fast bowlers who... One of the coolest things to see if you can bowl really fast is to bowl by a guy and see like a peg spinning, 
you know, you knock it over. And I've, I've seen, I was actually playing in a, in a, in a club match with a guy who bowled really fast, who broke somebody's off stump. Like he missed it and the stump, he, he hit the stump in a, I guess an area where it was weak and just broke it in half. That was exciting. He kept that as a souvenir. That's like breaking a bat in baseball or something like that. Like, yeah, you have to be. Pre- yeah, I mean, broken bats you see a little more often. Actually, I think you, you don't you wouldn't see that that often. Um, you can also be out uh, that, when you, actually that's that's God trying to stop the game. <laughs> he, he, see, he just, I like how you see this uh, this divine intervention in the game. Yeah. The other two ways, the other two sort of typical ways you can get out is stumped, which means there's a line there that you have to stay behind while you're batting. Now you can go out and try to. You know, run at the at the bowler, or if you're playing spin bowling and you're trying to block, you can kind of run out. But if you leave your safe ground and you miss the ball, and the and the, and the catcher's there, the catcher can take the ball and and take the bails off the stumps, and you're out stumped. So it'd be like getting picked off. Like if you, but he can't do that if you're if you just stay put. If you stay in your ground, yeah, he can't do it. So a, a lot of guys you'll see like keep their back foot in there, or they'll make sure they put their bat back. Um, to be safe. That's the other thing too is whether you're running uh, or you're batting and you need to get back in your ground to not be stumped, your bat counts. If you ground your bat behind the line, you're safe. So it counts as part of you. So in baseball you don't run with the bat, but in cricket you run with the bat. So you can put the you put the bat out. So you see guys when it's going to be close, uh, put their bat on the ground and run their bat in on the ground. <clears throat> Just as a, as a way to get there, be safe before their, their body's in there. The other way to get out that happens pretty often, but it's kind of complicated, is called leg before wicket. Basically what it means is you didn't play the ball with the bat, but you blocked it with your le- with your pads or some other part of your body, and it would have gone on to hit the stumps. You have to play it with your bat. Now, you can kick the ball away. There's, there's a lot of different criteria, so it's not just hitting your pad. It has to pitch in a certain place, has to hit you in a certain place, and the umpire has to just think that after it, he realizes it did that, that it would have gone on to hit the stumps had you not, had it not hit you. So there's actually, it's very difficult to judge. It took me. Is there like, a VAR version? Of- there is a VAR. They call it DRS, Decision Review System, and it runs with Hawkeye. Yeah, it's, well, actually, the thing about cricket is the, the, um, the review system is actually pretty good. It's like tennis. Like, there's not a lot of – it's like it either hit the line or it didn't hit. Like, now, there is one aspect to it that's a little bit – so, like I said, the umpire has to judge whether or not when the ball hit you if it would have gone on to hit the stumps. Now, sometimes the ball's spinning. You know, it, it pitched and, and turned. Sometimes the ball's swinging or hits the seam and moves. And so it's not always obvious whether just because it hit you in a certain place doesn't mean it was going straight. And so it kind of gets complicated. So the, the umpire usually will give the benefit of doubt to the batsman and say not out. Uh, but lately, because of DRS, Hawkeye, you know, kind of says, oh, that was going to hit. So you could, repeat, you, could, you, could, uh, cha- you could challenge it and uh, get it overturned on a challenge. So they do have DRS. All right, so you you, I know you don't. You're not a big fan of the of the, of the instant replay review system. No. Um, so game's gone for for five days. They're scoring either one, two, four, six at a time. Yeah. Sometimes three. Um. 
Well, the way it, what the, signifies the end of the game? Okay, so in a, in a test match, in a five day match, each team bats twice. They call it innings. So as as play as as you go out to field and my teams at bat, as you're bowling, we're scoring runs, but you're also getting people out. One guy out, two guys out. It's, it's 100 for two. It's 120 for three. It's 175 for four. You, you can, you're starting to get guys out. <clears throat> when you get the 10th guy out, they're all out because there's, no, there's only 11 guys on the team and nobody can come out at the other end. right? So however many you get when you're all out, now the other team will go and bat. They'll try to make as many as you get. They go through that twice. So they, they, they each bat twice. And then whoever... But at the end, you either have to get them all out twice. In other words, we, we, we already have enough runs, but I have to get you out the second time. So if you bat out, you can actually bat out a draw. Or you actually score in your second innings enough runs to make more runs than they made in their two. So your aggregate total is now higher than theirs. So you can, And then when you win like that, you win by as many wickets as you have left. So if you if you make if I make a hundred the first time out, and you make a hundred and ten, and then I make another hundred, now I've made two hundred. Now you have ninety one runs to win. If you make those ninety one runs and three guys are out, so it, it takes you three guys getting out to accumulate those ninety one runs. You've won by seven wickets. You had seven wickets left when you caught when you when you won. Now if I get you out, all ten out, and you only make eighty five. I won by five runs. So I got you all out before you made your... So then it goes to runs. But so if I've you won. make the comeback, it goes to wickets. Yeah, if you chase down the total, you win by the number of wickets you have left when you made the total. If I get you out before you make the total, I win by the number of runs you didn't get. Is one better than the other? No. Okay. Just a win. The win's a win. Yep. Gotcha. Doesn't matter. The cool thing about the day is, too, because they play all day. <laughs> oh, you, you have a question? Okay, this is a question from uh, our uh, one of our very first uh, founding members, uh, Greg. What's your question? Before you go off on that tangent, can you talk about the super over? <laughs> You're gone. Uh, I don't. Well, I, let me. Let me. Let me go off on a. Ta- let me go off on my tangent first, and just explain to you how to. Because the super over only comes into play uh, in the other formats, in like the one day formats, where the really. Sh- can't have a draw. Um, that it was awesome because um, the, the 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 world the when they play the cricket World Cup they play a one day format so it's a little bit different than the the proper test what they call test cricket the five day format. Um, but each day is broken up in three sessions, so they play like say they started about eleven a.m. This is the one day. This, no, this is the test, test matches. Okay. Every each of the five days are broken up. Big like boy, week long game. Yep. Yeah. Start at eleven. Play from eleven to one. You take a forty minute lunch, from one to one forty. Take a dump. Yeah, whatever. Take a shower. Have a cup of tea. Whatever. 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 After lunch, you play from like one forty to three forty five or four o'clock, something like that, and then you take a twenty minute tea. Get a quick sandwich, you know, whatever. Then you go out and play an evening session. You're supposed to be able to get in 90 overs in a day. Um, that actually, the modern game is a lot slower, which I know you're not going to be a big fan of. They, they play, but they play in the dark under the lights. No, they do. Well, they just started. A, it's a it's a novelty right now because Test crickets play with a red ball, 
and you can't play at night even under lights with the with a dark ball. So what they've started to do is they've they've tested it in Australia. They they have an, a pink. Yeah, so they can play. What they do is they move the start. They move the starting the first session up to after lunch. So they take a tea and a dinner. So the last session is actually under lights every day, and they play with like a pink ball. Um, it's I mean I showed it to our our our, our friend from England who is a traditional Englishman. He fucking hated it. He was like, I'm like, look, they're playing day and night test now with the pink ball. He's like, what is that? That's a fucking joke. Yeah, he wasn't a big fan of it. But the, so they have started doing that as sort of a novelty. So if you work a nine to five, you don't get to watch cricket. Not really. I mean, it, some of them, some of them are, are, uh, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of matches, almost every test match, they don't start on Mondays. So they play Monday to Friday. They so, always, they always try to start on like a Thursday. So day four and day three and four on okay. a Saturday and whatever. I was about to make the accusation that cricket is not like a blue collar sport. Because it's not it really. Yeah, it's not really. I mean, it's it's a little more of a blue collar sport now because it's taken it's taken um you know it's taken hold so big in in, in the subcontinent so like in Pakistan in in Sri Lanka in India it's more of a people's game in England it's still more traditional um Australia it's actually a little more like working class I think so it it, it varies from place to place but I guess, like, like I said, I guess kind of golf's like that. I mean, you can have just regular guys playing golf, but mostly it's considered sort of a, an elitist sort of sport. Um, yeah, because it used to be the people who played before they had professional players, like back in the seventh, 18th and 19th century. Um, it was all like rich guys because you couldn't, uh, you know, you couldn't play if you had a job, really. Like the the most famous player of the 19th century is a guy called W. G. Grace. He played until his 50s. He's like this, one of the greatest players of ever ever. But he was like a doctor. He was like a self-employed, like independently wealthy. Just like, doctor. I want to take five days off. Just do whatever the fuck I want to do. Protect my wicket. <laughs> exactly. <coughs> exactly. All right. So yeah, it's like summed up five days. It's whoever has the highest score after 20 batters. Okay. Okay. Yes. So cricket, it's five days long. It's whoever has the highest score after twenty batters. After you've both batted twice, yeah. And when you're batting, you're doing two things. One, protecting your wicket, your tower. Yeah. Make sure it doesn't get hit by the ball. Yep. And you want to hit the ball into an area where you can do your sprints. You got it. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Some of the terminology is going to be weird because the like the feet like like I said they call the the the, the set of six deliveries in one direction is called an over, and then you bowl six from the other direction. So normally, what somebody would say would would say something like, "Oh, it's it's fifty for two after ten. I mean, they they scored fifty runs. They've gotten two guys out. They've bowled ten overs. That's normally like why the, do they switch back and forth like that after six? Uh, they used to bowl eight ball overs. It's just it's just a weird quirky rule. Is it like just to like make sure the field doesn't get screwed up by like yeah, bowling I, out of the same spot. I, I, you know, I I don't know. I, I guess it's just well. The other thing is, you have to switch the bowler. So if I bowl my six from this end, somebody new has to bowl from the other end. You have to switch, and you can continue to bowl. But if you're like a fast bowler, you can only bowl maybe five overs in a row, six overs in a row. When you start to get up after six or seven, 
you know, it's because you're running in and 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 bowling fast, and uh, it's it's pretty tiring. But you know, there are slow bowlers who spin the ball, um, and so it's like another little trick. Uh, but they can bowl more because they're not like sprinting in and firing it down there every time. You know, they can they could bowl a twenty over spell. It wouldn't matter. They could you know just sit out there and hold. They call it holding down an end. Because they could bowl slow from one end, and you could bowl fast bowlers from the other end. And the field's huge. Yeah, it's it's a, it's usually somewhere between about from 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 where the batsman is at the pitch to the to the boundary where you'd hit it over is like between fifty five and seventy meters, something like so you're that. You're kind of going like all right, you said meters. I have no idea what that is. You do know what it is. Don't uh-huh. pretend that you don't know. So, yeah, so you're going that in every direction, kind of like a giant. Yeah, yeah, I mean, some of the coolest shots that you'll see played, you won't see played in tests because you don't take a lot of chances, but in these one-day games where basically the, it's called limited over, so rather than playing timed, like over a day, it's it's one inning each. You're only, your team's only going to bat once, but you're only, we're only going to bowl 50 overs. So you have to take more chances. It's not like you can just stand out there and block. Because at the end of the 300th ball, after we've bowled our 300th ball, you've scored as many as you're going to get. So even though you've only maybe gotten four guys out, if you only scored 250, you only get 250. So it's just a it's a way to get a game in uh, in, a, in a day. Yes. So here we will we will uh, we will add the note of a super over. So they have a uh, they have a tiebreaker. So after 50 overs each of the World Cup final, uh, New Zealand was playing England. They had the exact same number of runs, which is, it's happened before, but it's... Has to be weird. It's a little weird. So they play what's called a super over, and what it means is you just go out, six. you get six balls. You send two batsmen out and a bowler out with the field, and that bowler's going to bowl his over, six balls, and however many you get, you get, and then we try to get six and get the same amount. Uh, and if two guys... It's like if, college football over time. Yeah. Yes. Um... Now the funny thing about the World Cup final was the super over also ended in a tie. And so the tiebreaker was total number of boundaries, which means like fours and sixes. So whether you hit it on the ground for four or, or the home run for six. <clears throat> so it was aggregate so England won on aggregate boundaries. Whoever had like the big sluggers. Yeah. So it was a very strange, controversial, exciting end to a World Cup final. Plus it was at the home of cricket. It was a Lords. So the whole thing kind of kind of came together. It was fun. So which team has like Mark McGuire, England or New Zealand who won? Um, England won. England did have the bigger hitters, but it really, I mean, it was just it's almost sort of arbitrary at that point because it just so happened that you you know you were in this position where you had to hit these boundaries. You know, it's, it was it was a very strange it was a very strange match. So was it a thing where? Are the people that go for like five days and they pay attention to every every bowl? Yeah. Or is it? Well, I mean, I. Or do you like? Is it very leisurely to where like the camera will show the crowd and there's like a group of people like on like playing D and D or something? Yeah. Like while we have the wicket game in the background. Y- yeah. Yes. Like the, uh, there's a thing at there's a thing in England, but it, it happens other places too. It happens in I I've, I I went to a match in uh, in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, they come in, they call it fancy dress, they come in costumes, so they come dressed up as shit. Like, they'll come dressed up as, like, ten butchers, or ten Star Wars characters, or whatever, and they just get hammer drunk. 
I mean, it's it's a big drink fest. The other thing that's cool is when you travel with the teams um, and you go on tour with them, they usually play five tests in a, in a particular country. And so you could take a long vacation and go, yeah, you could go to like Cape Town and Johannesburg and Pretoria and just follow the team around. But again, you, you might go to every, you might be in part of a package where you have tickets every day. But you either don't go every day, or when you go, like you also, yeah, you just fool around. You know, you check out the sites. You, you know, you're usually in an exotic. You know, it's, it would be different for me. I was in like an, uh, I was on on holiday, so it was like fun. You know, I wasn't like paying attention to every ball. But yeah, I mean, there are people who go and watch the game, like really watch intently. Yeah. Are there like other activities to do? Yeah, like, a, lot of the at big, the match. a lot of the big grounds will let the kids, um, play, like, if they have a training, they call it, like, a nursery ground or a training ground or another area outside where they let kids just go and play. That's what they give them, like, so nerf, giant nerf, play nerf equipment, and you big go play cage. cricket with a nerf. Yeah, whatever, like, that kind of stuff. Kitty cage. Like, even sometimes, yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah, there's usually, there's usually something else going on. Um, at test matches, not so much, but at one day matches for sure. At test matches, it's usually just drinking heavily. Um, mascots? No, there's no mascot. Well, I mean, there is like there, there's there's there are countries that have little tournaments, like little leagues, like the Indian Premier League, where they play that twenty twenty game. So rather than a day game where it's fifty overs each, it's only twenty overs each. It's fast. Um, they have like cheerleaders and fireworks it's like xfl shit i i personally don't i'm not a fan of it just because the the technique is completely different does because there's no defending you don't have to defend like if you get out it doesn't really even really matter you know there's only you're only getting 20 overs you're only gonna you know they're only gonna bowl 120 balls so it doesn't there's really no defensive strokes ever yeah you can't leave a ball when they bowl you just got to try to play a shot that's going to work does Does the Indian equivalent of Vince McMahon own that league? It, there's a lot of money in that league. Yeah, it's a, a the, it's basically a bunch of it's basically a bunch of oligarchs, Indian oligarchs, as like a vanity project. They buy like world, and it's if players from all over the world. So it's it's basically like eight all world all star teams playing because they, they pay so much money. But again, they they get a, they get seventy five thousand, eighty thousand, ninety thousand people for the final because there's. Like, as my friend from Lahore, Pakistan said, my first cricket captain, I was like, man, when you see these matches in India, there's so many people. He's like, there's so many people in India that need something to do. They're everywhere. <laughs> you know, there's a billion of them. So, yeah, it's a very popular sport in India and Pakistan. That's it. How do you... That's cricket. How do you play cricket in a city? I mean... um, that, I mean, you could... It's funny. They just did a... a I mean, if you talk to, like, my... My friends from Pakistan, the, the, the places they've played, he's like, we've played on rooftops, we've played in the middle of the street. You just develop rules like the way you would develop rules if you were playing stickball for baseball. Like, you can't hit it over here, it's out. Or if you, you know, if you play on a tennis court, you know, if you t- it hits that fence, you're out. You know, you just, you just make up, you make up the rules. Or you, you put a wicket out, there, you put three sticks on the ground, or you cut a thing out of a, a you know, a, a trash can, or put a pylon back there or whatever. Yeah, I mean, they just... It's the same way kids would do here for anything else, whether they're playing, you know, hockey and they just put out two cones or, you know, whatever. Like that. 
That's it. Now we can start talking about the fielding positions. Start talking about silly mid on. Oh, the, the Braves. So here's the update of the final. The final. There's a final score in Atlanta. St. Louis Cardinals 13, Atlanta Braves won. Somebody probably paid over a hundred dollars to see that. I, I think. I think I looked. Uh, nosebleed tickets started at ten thousand dollars tonight. Oh, so, yeah. On like yeah. StubHub or like on a secondary market. No, nah, just that's what they cost. Ten thousand dollars. Yeah. That's what. They, that's what the Braves yeah. are selling them for. Ten thousand. Yeah. yeah. Ten, you know. <laughs> yeah. And just think of all the crying babies. Who were so excited. That's funny as shit. Have you, uh, do they send you out to take pictures of baseball games? I've, I've been to high school baseball. I've been to college, minor league, and I've done the Phillies before. Yeah. So what got you into photography anyway? Uh, my dad is a photojournalist. He was a, he was the newspaper photojournalist in my hometown growing up. Oh, cool. Following your old man's footsteps. Yeah. He got me, he got me into it. So I grew up kind of going into the dark room and stuff like that. And then. I think around seventh, eighth grade. I don't know. He, I, I, he got me a, you know, manual film camera for my birthday and showed me how to use it. And I started shooting high school football games with him when I was a kid. And then I would go and shoot my friends skateboarding and then go run around the woods and shoot flowers and stuff. And I don't know. That's just kind of how I got into photography. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was just like, hey, I'm gonna do this for like. Um. No, I, got... I guess I guess it's a, you feel at least you know there's, there's a path when like when your pops doing it you're like okay well I could do like photojournalism I, there's at least like a media thing I could do with it rather than just like sort of um, str- just being an artist and, and having to sort of figure yeah out like yeah that. definitely he kind of set that example of like hey you can make a career out of this um, but I like I started going to school for like music type stuff and music production and I figured out you know I'm not I can't play five instruments and I'm not good enough for this. So I kind of went back to photography because I wanted to do something creative. Um, did like a year of fine art photography in college and was like, yeah, I'm not going to make enough money or make a living as an artist or whatever. What kind of, what kind of pictures did you do when you were doing like fine art stuff? Oh, um, I was... You were prob- like Robert Mablethorpe where you're sticking like shit up your ass and stuff? I was like 20 years old living with like my friends um, in college and I would have them like... I, there, I have photos of my best friend, like eating a birthday cake next to a dead deer on some rain, uh, railroad tracks, and we had like "Happy Birthday, Dead Deer" written on the cake and all this. I don't know. You were doing a bunch of weird shit. It just weird yeah. shit. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I wasn't learning anything. I would just do that and turn it in, and they're like, "Here's an A." That's I don't understand it, but here you go. Yeah. And I was like, I'm now, not did learning. Did you understand it too, or are you just doing weird stuff? No, I'm just having fun. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not learning anything here. I need to, like, change schools. So I changed schools. Got into a photojournalism program. Oh, yeah. Where's that? Where, where did you go? Western Kentucky University. Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> nice. I'm always, I'm, I'm always uh, interested in, like, which, like, I, uh, the my my brother-in-law's ex-wife went to uh, she's a pharmacist and she went to the university of hawaii hilo and what i come to find out is it's like the second ranked pharmacy school in the country but but it's always i'm, I'm always interested in where these specialty sort of just sort of develops into like a specialty like oh that's yeah. known for that that was a weird thing yeah because i was like well i want to go do photojournalism i looked it up an hour away was western kentucky and it was like one of the best there is and it's yeah. like 
That's odd. Okay, that's convenient. That's what worked, worked out. Worked out. Yeah. So what? Well, I mean, you had you had already worked. How was that? Your first job was uh, in Texarkana, or had you? Yeah, yeah. I graduated from Western Kentucky. Got the job in Texarkana at the Texarkana Gazette, and I worked there about three and a half years. And then I quit and said, you know, because I was trying to make my next step, get a new job, and I was applying for jobs. I wasn't getting anything, and eventually I just got tired of being there, and I was like, I quit. I'm going to go home and try to freelance. So I moved back home with my parents, and I was there for about three months, and that wasn't really going well, and I was still applying for jobs, and... Now I'm here in Delaware. Nice, yeah. We met because uh, you're you're a Liverpool guy. How did that? How, how did you? How, how did you wound up uh, supporting Liverpool? Um, I think it was around 2008, maybe. And me and my friends, we were like, "All right, we're actually we're we liked soccer." We're getting into it. We got to pick a team and really got to stick with one. Um, I think at first we were kind of leaning towards Arsenal, and then we, and the, but they were they were pretty good at the time, or they were better than Liverpool. Um, so we were like, well, we don't want we don't want you know, to just jump on the bandwagon of the top team, but we like you know we were like wanted some history, something cool. Um, behind them, and we just kind of like. Saw Liverpool and we're like That's you know. fair. I liked that it. it was like the move where you're like, I can't I can't do Arsenal. Man United's like that for me too, because of people my age, a little bit you know, that that's pick their team. Now I was a little I was weird. So I guess this like the cricket thing. When I was a kid, I always liked to follow the football from Europe, but it was harder because there was no internet. So it's like we get these magazines or there was like one show a week on ESPN called uh it called Gillette World Sports Special. And you could get like the Bundesliga highlights or maybe the English league highlights or something, but that's it. Um, but most of the f- <clears throat> most of the people my age that picked the team in like the nineties, the mid to late nineties, all picked United, and so I have to deal with that bullshit. Yeah, but like that's just that's the easy pick. That's like that's like getting in the NASCAR and being like, well, Jeff Gordon is my favorite driver. I'm like, oh. yeah, I. I, I... <clears throat> See, I picked my team way back in the day because it was when I first started watching. So I picked them in like the eighties. Uh, for like a weird reason, did I ever tell you that story? So the first, the first World Cup, uh, in in that was like televised. A lot of matches were televised uh, into the United States live. Was the '86 World Cup in Mexico? And I was 11, and so I followed that fucking World Cup. Like I still, I still have a bunch of the matches on VHS tape. I don't even have a VCR. <laughs> um. So I, I mean, not only did I watch them live, but I've watched them over and over. I've studied them. I was like, I know everything about the '86 World Cup. But the guy who won the Golden Boot, who scored the most goals in the '86 World Cup, was Gary Lineker, English guy. He had just uh, the big news in Europe was his transfer from Tottenham Hotspur to Barcelona. Well, I didn't. I didn't really care about Spanish football. I didn't really follow it, but I followed the English. I'm like, but I had never heard of Tottenham Hotspur. You know, I had heard of Arsenal and. Leeds and a few other teams because again I'm only getting little bits and pieces of information and I'm like I'm 11 I'm like Tottenham Hotspur I don't even know what that is I'm going I support Tottenham Hotspur that's how it happened it's because Gary Lineker won the golden boot in 86 and it's not even like I wasn't a Lineker fan really I wasn't an England fan 
I was I was really supporting Italy, uh, like I always did when I was a kid. But that's just how it worked out. Tottenham Hotspur. So now you can't. I once, like that. Once you pick, you're on it. You didn't jump on a bandwagon, and like it wasn't like in your blood to follow a team. So it was some kind of random event like that, yeah. where it's like, okay, that's my team. That's kind of how we did it. Yeah. Yes. And 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 you, and as long as you stick with it, I got no issue. As I soon mean, as we started. Rafa got fired, and Roy Hodgson was my manager. Uncle Roy! Um, so that was like my, the, my birth to Liverpool was just absolute hell. Could be a brief man. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I never mind Liverpool. You know, we had a, we had a great friend here in the neighborhood who was Liverpool, and you know, we we came up sort of finally getting together and watching matches uh, at Rooney's, like uh, a. Yeah, I guess the mid two thousands, about fifteen years ago, something like that. Uh, and you know, Josh was one of the guys who was there. And and again, like you said, Liverpool wasn't exactly you know they had been good and they had a, obviously a great tradition. Um, you know, and and they had some big seasons. You know, they had won a Champions League. Uh, but it wasn't like they were perennial. You know, at the top of the table. No, no, they had a guy you could get behind with Gerard and. Some cool players like Torres and Dirk Cow and stuff like that. Dirk Cout. Um I remember that. I can't. I can't believe you remember that guy. He's my favorite. Like Dirk Cout. He's his hat trick against Man U is my favorite game ever. Like I remember that. Yeah, it's him and Suarez pretty much hooking up. It's, it's Suarez dribbling through the entire team and then just crossing it across the goal line to Dirk Cout, who just taps it in like literally like an inch over the goal. And gets his hat trick. It's great. Yeah. I well, and the other reason, the other reason I have an affinity for Liverpool. Well, and it goes back to Josh too. But Liverpool is known just the city. It, you know, it's known for leftist politics. Um, they hate the sun. The sun. That's why the sun screwed them. Uh, when they had the disaster in, at Sheffield at at uh, uh, Hillsborough. Uh, Wednesday, um, and the sun screwed them about when when all the supporters died, and they've never liked the sun. I, Klopp isn't speaking to the sun now. Did you see that? Yeah, he did that pretty early on. Yeah, there was a guy that wanted him. He said, hey, "You're from the sun, right?" And he was like, well, yeah, "You don't nothing, you don't ask me questions." It's nothing personal, but I can't talk to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just for for people who are listening, if this ever goes out, uh, there was a big disaster uh, in the late '80s. Called Hillsborough, you made it seem it was a big crush uh, at a FA Cup semifinal, and there was a big inquiry about how these Liverpool fans died, and the conservative paper, The Sun, was sort of saying that oh, was Liverpool's fault because the, the the fans broke the gate, and well, come to find out, years and years and years later, it wasn't that it was a total fuck up job of poor security, poor decision making, the whole bit. Uh, but there's this hatred in leftist. Mercy side of the conservative newspaper, The Sun. After all of this time, uh, so I, I, I always, you know, I appreciated that. And my good friend Josh, who who uh, passed away a few years ago, he was a Liverpool fan, and he was a socialist like me. He had the same politics as I do. Um, and last picture he sent me, because uh, we didn't, te- we, you know, we we lived in, you know, we were almost like neighbors, so we would text, but you know, we send each other pictures and shit. But he sent me a picture when he was in Liverpool the last time when he went with Paul uh, to Anfield, and the all the U.S. supporters who would go would meet and all meet there. So it was like 
the Philadelphia supporters, the Kansas City supporters, whoever was in from the United States for Liverpool would meet at this pub, and they had the back room. And as you went to the back room of this pub, there was a huge oil painting. It was probably six feet high and four feet wide uh, in a beautiful frame of Marx, of Karl Marx, in this beautiful sort of like parlor room in a pub. You know, it's a cool thing. And, but it was empty because it was match day, first thing in the morning, and he just sent me a picture of this back of the room of this pub with this big Karl Marx picture. Uh, I don't even know if I still have that fucking picture, but I remember he sent it to me. That was the last thing he did. Yeah. But I, so I, I do have an affinity for Liverpool that's, that's like personal and, and political a little bit. And, and, and again, it's not United, which is good. Or Arsenal. Oh, before I, I put this down too, because this is interesting, because there's. And maybe I, I, I wanted to clue people uh, into your work because there's two photos, and we just talked about one last night, that always come to my mind when I think. And, and one is a photograph of the president of the Southbridge Civic Association, or I think she was the president, standing in the field where they're going to, I think now, put that heavy industry, like concrete residue you know, plant or whatever it is, um, but it's a photograph of her sort of standing in that field. Uh, and it's just sort of solitary. And I don't even know if you have her looking in the camera, but uh, there's something about it that's very evocative. And I always thought it was I thought it was dope. I mean, how, do you remember taking that picture? Yeah, I think I was supposed to take it the night before, and I met her at the community center down there or somewhere. It was at a meeting. It was like the same, because it, it ran with the story of the meeting they had about this thing. Yeah, and uh, it was it was like just closing or something, and there wasn't any good spots down like just in the middle of Southbridge there. And I was like, "Why don't we do this tomorrow morning? Let's go to the site." And she's kind of just like, "You know, it's a dump. It's just a bunch of grass and stuff." I'm like, "No, no, it's, do it. Wear your rain boots," because I had her, you know, trek out in the mud in that field or wherever we were. Yeah, um, yeah and I don't know, I just. Photographed her out there. Yeah, it was cool. The other one, the, the other one I always uh, remember, uh, isn't. Uh, I mean, it wasn't staged in this, and that's the sense the one in Southbridge was because it was a bunch of. Uh, I think it was all men uh, outside. I, I guess it was Rick Van Story or some one oh, of the yeah. shelters was closing or getting or having problems. RVRC. Yeah, so Rick Van Story, um, but it was just. You know, a few regular folks like sitting out on benches or out on the sidewalk. Um, but it wasn't like sometimes you see photos of like we're going to call it like homeless pornography almost. It's like, look at this wretched thing. Um, but you didn't get that. Like, I didn't get that. I just got like these guys are just this is, it was almost it had the same feel of like. um the famous photograph of them building Rockefeller Center with the guys on the beam. It's just a bunch of guys with lunch pails just sort of like chilling out. Now, that was a staged photo, but like it didn't – I just – I it always struck me as something that was very evocative too. And again, I also had a lot of strong feelings about the story, same that I did with Southbridge, so that probably helped. But that was a dope one too. Thanks. Yeah, that was cool. You must, you, I must, you must have remembered that one as well. Yeah, I remember that one. I remember you reaching out to me and saying you liked it. You know? Yeah, it was cool. I hope. I hope. Is, is there some that you've done as as you've been here that you remember like that? You take so many, it's probably tough. Yeah, they kind of run together, but yeah, I've, 
I feel like it's easier for me to recall things in Texas, the weird things I have done. I went to I went to prom with a kid in a coma once. Uh, so it was like a human interest story. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's definitely the weirdest thing I think I've ever photographed. Um, so there was a kid, he was a high school kid, and he got into a car wreck with his friends. They were going on a country road or whatever. He gets like a bad brain injury from the wreck, um, and it puts him in a coma. All his other friends survived. Fast forward two years, he's still in a coma. All his friends are seniors, um, and his mom says, all right, well, I'm going to dress him up and take him to prom. So, like, I went to this nursing home where he was still living and, you know, photographed them, like, putting a, like, camouflage print suit and tie, and they shaved him and put the shoes on, put him in this uh, wheelchair and took him to prom. And I kind of just followed him the whole night, and, like, he had no idea where he was. It was the craziest thing. Um, what, how did it, like, I mean, obviously they knew he was coming, but, like. Yeah, the how school did, and everybody knew, yeah. Yeah. And I guess it was just, like, a thing, like. Do you, what was, I mean, did he ever come out of his coma, do you know? No, he died um, and within the next year. Yeah, I mean, two years, this is a lot. Yeah, it was it was it was wild. It, it in the end, it kind of seemed like it was the kind of thing that was, I don't know, like the it was more for the mom trying to like uh, yeah. see her son achieve these goals that he wasn't able. Yeah, to I guess I mean, and that's the, the question I was going to ask you was like obviously it was for like the the mom specifically, but maybe for his his friends or the school or his brother, whatever. Like, did you get the sense that there that they? that they did get something out of it or did you get the sense that it was just really sad? I it was more just kind of sad and yeah. and awkward because I mean there were times where like the mom kind of pushed him out onto the dance floor and like got tried to like get people to dance around him. So like I have a photo of this kid like in a coma in the middle of the prom dance floor and like people dancing around him. Did the doctors have he, any problem with this? No, I mean he was. At this, I mean, because see, it seems at this like point a, he was living at a nursing home. Oh, uh, okay. Just, so she was pretty much just like, you know, I'm taking it. my son. I'm, I can do whatever I want. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I know it was funny. I, I and again, probably because I don't know if you follow the even follow the NFL. I don't really don't. I sort of right because the uh, <clears throat> the first what the first year you got here, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. So yeah. you got to cover the Super Bowl. Uh, that must have been so. How 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 long were you down there? So where it was in uh, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Yeah. Okay. Minneapolis. I was down there for a week, and I didn't even know that the whole media week thing was a thing either. When I first was told I was going, they're like, "Yeah, you're going for a week," and I was like, well, "Why am I going for a week?" And they're like, "No, there's there's a media thing all week." And it's like, "All right, cool." So it was like thrown into all these press conference situations and stuff like that. It was great. It was, I don't know. It's it's yeah. sort of, sort of surreal, like because I looked like the Super Bowl was on like February fourth that year. The Super Bowl before that was around that same date. I was living in Texas, working at this paper that I wasn't happy where my career was going at this job, and I wanted to leave. Um, it was a Sunday shift. I was working. There were no assignments. Nobody had figured anything out for the front page of the paper, so I was told, just go out and find something going on, and we'll put it on the front page. Some kind of wild art photo. 
So I went to a sports bar because I knew it was the Super Bowl night and photographed some guys watching the Super Bowl in a bar in Arkansas. A year later, I'm like on the field. Get your press credentials. It's like, how did I get here? Like, I you never would have told me a year later you'd be there. So I don't know. The whole thing is kind of surreal. I, yeah. What are your uh, the, What are your thoughts about uh, about Wilmington? Like in in general, like because <clears throat> you have actually a, I, I think a really interesting perspective. You know, growing up in the South, going to school in. Western Kentucky isn't exactly, you know, it's it's still fairly rural. Oh yeah, it is. It's rural. It is. There's nothing city about that. Yeah, and uh, and then working in Arkansas, like, what what is your uh, take on what what's going on here? Um, this is definitely the most like yeah city type setting I've ever lived in. Um, yeah, it seems like there's a ton to do compared to like other places I've lived. Um, so I you know I I like Wilmington. Um, I feel like everywhere I've lived, like the city council and stuff like that are just as crazy. You know, this all doesn't seem that new to me. Yeah, the um, more... There's there's a lot more, like, like violent crime here. Um, so I guess I kind of had to get used to that, but that's because I've just, I've lived smaller places. I kind of feel like that just probably yeah, goes almost... up everywhere well, you what's live. your What's your, um... What's your perspective on that? Because yeah, I mean, it's going to be different because when you would live in a small place, uh, you know, just it's just very infrequent, um, especially when it's somewhere where there's not a big metropolitan area, even you know, within a fifteen or twenty minute drive. Um, like, do you feel like that's something that you you're just it's just something that happens, or do you feel like I kind of feel sometimes separated from it? Like from a privileged standpoint, like I, I I hate it, and I know I have to live with it, and I know it's happening very close to where I live, and so I have a connection to it in a way that kind of makes me uh, drive some of my activism really. But I also feel disconnected from it. Like I'm not afraid of it. I'm not dealing with it in a way that somebody who it, violence could be uh, used upon them is feeling it, you know, or do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do feel like, I mean, I didn't, you know, grow up around it. Right. And I feel like I'm, you just you just go to scenes after the fact, so you kind of just kind of see the aftermath all the time. You get kind of numb to it. You get kind of used to it. Yeah. Um, well, that's the big thing, too, is, again, I'm, I'm, I feel separated from it because I'm not running out to, like, cover it either, like... You know, I'm not sort of like on the scene and seeing the setting, yeah. getting sort of having you know sort of intimately with the setting and the and the the feeling there with the people. You know, because I, you know, I only live you know several blocks away, Wilmington's, and, and so I, I have a weird connection to it because it's there. You know, it's places that I know. It's places that I go. It's place you know. It's you know, but it's so separated from me. I I don't go to the scene. And I don't feel that. Um, so it's an interesting perspective that you have. Because your experiences have, have come from a different place. So it's like, yeah, what do you think? I mean, are you... Like some people you would think... I guess the stereotypical sort of joke would be if somebody came from a suburban setting, 
to hear they would be like, it's safe. Like, people have come up to me downtown at lunchtime that are like, you can tell it's a juror. Like, it's somebody on jury duty. And they come out of the fucking courthouse and they're like, it's like a 50-year-old woman from Bear. And she's just like, what's happening? You're hoquessing or whatever. And, and I've had people come up to me, like right in front of the courthouse. Where should we eat? I'm like, I don't know. Anywhere. I was like, go. I said, this is King Street, right? I said, go up to Market. Pick a place. She's like, is it safe? And I said, no. I told her no. The next time I was nicer to the woman I, because I felt bad that I kind of fucked with this other woman. But it's just like, is it safe? Motherfucker, I, I live here. I work here. Yeah, it's fucking safe. Yeah, I mean, it's there's fucked up shit going on, but it's not because of anything you're doing. No one, no one, no one wants to fuck with you. No one cares about you. You know, it's not, it's not what it's about. But the, and the other issue is, I think a lot of people have, and this is this is a problem that's getting worse because we don't choose to deal with it. But a lot of people are very uncomfortable around like homeless people, around addicted people, um, like because they don't have to deal with people. They just go to their cul-de-sac, and that's fucking that. Um, so I don't know. That's why I thought maybe you'd have a different perspective on that. But again, you, you've kind of been all over it too. So yeah, I mean, I think I've walked over every. Neighborhood in Wellington, yeah. it, I'm fine. It's, you're fine. Yeah. Folks, this is going to degenerate further, probably, uh, but we're not going to record it. Um, you know what? Maybe we should. Fuck it. We'll just leave the fucking mics on for an hour and see what happens. You've ever seen that photo of like a demon or the it's the devil, Mr. Devil. And he yells above. He's got a yeah, pretty straight back and he's a little hunched over at the top and he's got the marionette sticks and the strings and he's like, you know, it's kind of just this image of like Yeah, the puppeteer. He's pulling the strings. Yeah. That kind of bend in the torso just fits the way they design baseball stadiums, it just fits perfect to be right here. And then he's just like this is his playground. This is some Illuminati every, shit. Every other sport. Every other Every other sport, the stadium does not fit in the devil's torso, but a baseball diamond. Perfect. uh, The breakup story with her is real good. Let's go. So, so folks, I I guess that uh, hopefully we get that the breakup stories. So this is the breakup story with the Pentecostal twins. Yeah. So your friend and. You are dating. You're 15. Uh, 16? we're driving. We're so driving. 16, 16, 16, or 17, 16 and 17. Okay. Somewhere around there. Well, here. So since you were driving, I have a question about this before we get into this. The breakup. We're going. You know what? Now we're going to analyze this closely. <laughs> so they. So you. You. You see them. You want to date them. Uh. But you didn't. So did did you know that the, her father was the minister or the the pastor? No, no, they came to one of our soccer games. I don't remember. Maybe they were there for the other school or something. I don't know. Somehow we met them after our soccer. We both played soccer. We met them after the game. Ended up like going to eat after the game. 
I don't know. My other friend was way better with the ladies than me. He got this whole thing going. I kind of tagged along, met his, met her sister. Things formed into relationships. Yeah, but see, here's I, I, because the fact that they lived. So you had never been like to their place to see that they they were living on the grounds of a church. No, no, not at first. No, we were just like going to the movies and you just meeting them out, doing going to play putt putt and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you were like, so when you when. So around this time, you you understand? Oh, they're religious, and oh, okay. Now I, I know your your father's the past. And then when you when, when you when you roll up and you see that they live on the grounds of like a Pentecostal church, what's your first thought in your mind? Well, I didn't know what like Pentecostal entailed. Oh, so you just you had no clue what was going to happen? No, no. So that's why when I was telling you that story earlier about I was hey I was talking to my friend on the phone, I was like, hey man, does anything weird happen when you're there? And he's like. Yo, yeah, they're like <laughs> falling out and talk, speaking in tongues. Like yeah, I'd yeah. never, I'd never heard of spe- what. I didn't have a clue what speaking in tongues was. Yeah. Had heard of the concept, but I'm there well, one night, your... and then boom, somebody's you know. Yeah. What was your experience blow. with religion? Did you grow up with any religion at all, or like, did you go to church when you were a kid? No, no. I, so my... you had okay. No, I, and I only asked that like I, the reason I ask is because I grew up like. Catholic, like Italian Catholic, so it wasn't traditional, but it was. I mean, my grandmother went every week and all that. And we and we went to Catholic school and all this stuff. So, I had sort of a a context, like this. What we're doing is strange. That's clear. And I also knew like what other sort of Christian sort of situations were, because you're sort of like my one grandfather was a Presbyterian, and you know other. So I had some frame of reference, but because you didn't. Uh, because you didn't grow up like that, you didn't even have, so you couldn't even really put it in context. No, no, no. Like, yeah, because even when I was a little kid, I went to church camp one summer with two of my good friends, and it was like just for me, it was like just going to summer camp with two of my good friends. But before I went, my parents told me, "Hey, if anybody asks you during the week if you're saved, just say yes." <laughs> But you didn't know what that was. Though. No, I didn't know you why didn't at know all. Why to They're do like, that. just trust us. Just say yes. Go have a good week with your friends at camp. And I had a great week. But yeah, yeah, I didn't know. They kind of just let me figure it out for myself and decide and what I wanted to do as far as religion goes. So you were, so you went into that whole situation like I don't even know what's going on. It's like, oh, so like I how seen many clips so how, on TV of people like getting pressed on the forehead and falling out and stuff right. like that. I've been like, oh, that's kind of crazy, you know, seeing like that part. But like, so how many times did you go before you were like, well, you know what? Tell the breakup story because this, you, this, you might get into all of this. Okay. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, it took a while for me to realize the Pentecostal side of things, or at least the very spiritual outward things that happened during a Pentecostal service. Anyway, fast forward, probably like, not a year, I don't know, six months, oh, a while. Um, I was a senior in high school, and she was in college, and we were real busy, so I was like, you know, I'm, we don't get to hang out, this isn't fun. I'm 18. I'm just gonna break up with her. Like this isn't this isn't the person I'm meant to be with for the rest of my life. Um, so I'm like, <laughs> my 18 year old logic was, all right, well, I'll do it right after we do our favorite thing together. And her favorite thing together was going to church. So I was like, all right, well, I'll break her heart after church. Um, 
Did you just so that was your you were just like next just next time I see her, we'll just do that. I can see you the way so we're in service. It's towards the end. Her dad's up front, you know, doing his thing. And he's like, I want all the kids to come to the front. And he had done this before, and, like, I never got into it that level. So I was like, I'm just going to sit here. Um, by then, it's, it's, it's a small church. There's, like, 50 people in there or whatever. They all know, you know, I'm the guy dating the pastor's daughter. So, like, all the kids go up there, you know, like, 18 and under or whatnot. Uh, I don't go. Um... So everybody kind of turns and looks at me like, you're not going to go up there? I was like, okay, crap. I got to go. So I go up there. They line us all up, like shoulder to shoulder in the front. And he starts preaching, getting like real hardcore into it, um, eventually into tongues. And like it's getting pretty, pretty crazy. And then like all the other like, I don't know, elders of the church, like other just important people or older adults get up and each kid gets an adult in front of them and behind them and they put their hands on like all our foreheads on the front and the back this is all while like people are screaming tongues and like he's preaching and there's like you know keyboard dudes going mad and, like if you turn around somebody's probably rolling down the fucking aisle yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it was going down. It was like, going off. It was kicking off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know, and I kind of glance over, and, like, my girlfriend's, like, crying and stuff, and eventually they start, like, you know, hitting people in the head, and they, they're falling over, um, you know, getting slain in the spirit and whatnot. And um, it's not, like, going one by one, you know, like a, a like dominoes. But eventually, you know, like, the people that are in front and behind you are like screaming tongues at you, and I'm like, oh my god, like what is happening right now? Um, you know, I was just gonna break up with my girlfriend, and now I'm, <laughs> I have like multiple adults touching and screaming at me in a language I don't understand at all. Nobody does. Um, and the guy in front of me pushes me in the head to make me to, so I'm supposed to fall down. I'm like, I don't. I kind of just stand there, and they keep, you know, nothing changes, and they keep, you know, speaking in tongues and things. He does it again, and I just kind of stand there. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, what's what's happening? Um, finally, he does it a third time, and I don't go. And he does it a little harder this time. And like, I open my eyes and I say, "Stop pushing me! I'm not going down." And the whole room goes silent. And like, people kind of just stare at me for a sec, for like just half a sec, and look at me like I'm the game of baseball. And then things resume. And everybody kind of just goes back into speaking tongues, and they act like I, that that never happened. And then everybody else kind of fell down, and things just happened, and church ended. And then I remember just walking up her driveway and being like, "Hey, this had this has nothing to do with what just happened, but I can't believe we have to break up." <laughs> I can't believe because my first reaction would have been like, I, I would have said. This has everything to do with just what just happened. No, no, I was honest. I was like, "This." Is, I know you're probably thinking it has everything to do with just happened. That, but the, that was know, weird. But this goes back. So, so just let's 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 get deep then, because that was my question about kind of all of this, whether it's a, a really performative one or a more ritualistic one or whatever. But like, people do get something out of that, but. Like, it's almost like they all have to do collectively buy into it together. 
And if if you're like if you're not buying into it, they're like, this guy's like he's he's ruining the mood. You just basically yeah. ruined the mood. I don't know. Yeah, like I don't want to step on their funk, and I don't know what what it means what, if you do it. Like I don't know what maybe they're right and every, everything they believe is real. Like maybe they're right and I'm wrong. I I don't know. I just wasn't into it then. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even talking about yeah. right or wrong. I'm just yeah. saying like it's performative in some way. Yeah, I mean, like it's not like it's obviously and 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 again, I, the reason I make this comment isn't to disparage anybody. Uh, it would it would be to, like obviously when they got you up there and they all went up and and then when you said that and everything stopped. Yeah, they didn't know what to do. Correct, and then they all sort of mutually agreed to just sort of like at the theater, you just keep going, just keep going. And so it's just very telling of that idea. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to shit on it. I'm just saying that that there's a performative aspect to it that people are getting a lot out of, and um, it, that's the interesting part. Like, what is that? Like, I, I don't necessarily th- like. They're obviously not doing it the performative part because they're really speaking in tongues because they were able to stop when when somebody forgot their lines. Or when somebody broke character or whatever, they were able to kind of like stop, all sort of get regroup in their minds together, and then just keep going like you would like like you would do. So, so that part of it is fascinating. So what? Here's the what? Here's the other question that goes unanswered. What did your friend do? Now you have a best friend who's dating the sister. I think did he go through the same routine? No, he didn't go through that. No, no, he because we never went to the same service because like we worked d- different. But they times. still do like that's that's why they all looked at you because that was the day for that routine and you didn't go up there. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't think he. Now, not that they do that. the same thing every time, yeah. but you know when they decide, you know tonight's the night we're gonna we're gonna no, save he, souls tonight. He never went through that event, but um, yeah, he dated a little bit longer and they broke up maybe within the month. I don't know. We were both kind of on the outs of. Yeah, uh, okay, yeah, because it's just like now. That when, so there was a period of time after you told him this story, but he was still dating the sister. Yes, that's an interesting period of time. I mean, you may not remember how it went down, but like, yeah, not really. You're even like, okay, like you're gonna. This isn't a fucking court of law. Uh, <laughs> uh. Yeah, because there's a period of time there where he's like, you, I, like he's hearing the story, like I'm hearing the story, right? And like, yeah, well, that night I was like, hey, guess what? I'm as I'm like pulling out of the driveway, I just broke up with so with, and so with, with her, such and so, and guess what happened? <laughs> and he was like, oh, that's weird. I hope that doesn't happen to me. Yeah, I think basically. Oh my god! I'd be like, every time I went there, I'd be scared. I feel like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, don't think they dated the fire, much please. longer after that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is something. You would you just wouldn't be saved. You should have started screaming. I've already been to a baseball game. I've already been to a baseball game. I've looked the devil in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking A.